welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's a big topic. <laughs> uh, and really, it's, it's, this, it's this book that really shows us what the kingdom of heaven is, is like. The, the, the kingdom implies that there is a king. Well, it's the king of kings. And it means the rule of that king. So this book shows us what it looks like when that king is ruling. It also shows us what it looks like when that king is uh, enabling the kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? And one of the words I really want to uh, sort of underscore everything today is just this word generosity. What is the kingdom of heaven like? I believe it's generous. God is a generous God. When he wanted to enable us to be restored to relationship with him, which was from the very beginning, he was not lacking in coming forward in making that happen. Jesus was generous in giving up who he was to come here and be born in a stable. But even with that life that he grew up with there in Israel, he was generous that he gave that life on a cross for us. He gave everything he had to enable and you can look at the narrative, the stories, the, 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 the parables, the prophets giving prophecies, and it gives you a picture of what God is like and therefore what his kingdom is like. And so when you read stories like, for example, um, the, five, the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes, what, what God is also showing you is a story of what he is like. And uh, initially, you just get Jesus looking with compassion upon all these hungry people. 5,000 men, it said, and then you'd have had the women and the children. Lots of people. And uh, he says, well, how are we going to feed them? Because he wants to see them fed. I mean, he knows what he's going to do. It actually says that there in in John. Um, It actually says it there in the scripture that he was just doing this to enable them, to test them, to let their faith grow. And one of the things that's a feature of the kingdom is these opportunities for faith to grow. He never intended, God never intends for us to be babies or infants. Maybe you could put that verse up there so people know where it is, Kate. It's the first one, John 6. Um, okay, um, that's just the beginning of the chapter. But if you, that, the, the bit at the bottom is the, the whole story. I've got quite a few verses that I, I want to... Just go through today. So I'm just going to put them up there for anybody that wants to record them because you want to go through it later. Uh, uh, Kate's going to put them up there for you, but not necessarily all the text because there'll be too much of it. Um, Philip says, as it's got up there, um, Philip says that, well, it would take about eight months' wages just to give them a snack. If you look at what he says, that's basically what he says, just to give him a bite, it would take about eight months' wages, even if we work for months. That's another way of putting it in English. Um, and he says, to, so he's like, but what he immediately goes for is a natural solution. That would feed them. Uh, but immediately in this situation, Jesus is saying, don't just look to the natural ways of fulfillment. Look to how God can provide. And when God provides, there's always the miraculous in there. Often the miraculous is so normal, it doesn't feel like it's miraculous. 
One of the oddest things for me with, with dense healing from an aneurysm is it's just been so normal so that you even start to wonder if it ever happened. You know, I, we, we, we were with you in hospital that week. I know, I know what she was like, but it just doesn't feel possible. It's, 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 it's like, it's so natural, but it's supernatural. And we're so thankful to God. Aren't we? But I, I believe that that was not just an isolated incident. Even if it was, we'd be happy and we should be, we should be feasting on that miracle for the rest of our lives anyway. But I don't believe that was God's, God's um, plan because he's, he's so generous. And he's trying to release into us in seeing something miraculous. I mean, he didn't make Dan ill, don't, don't get me wrong. But he used it and what was meant for ill turned around for good. Because suddenly people start saying, oh my God, this happens. And we've seen so many things where it, it didn't happen. And so what is it that's going on? Well, I believe it's all about grasping hold of that the kingdom is a generous kingdom. And Philip hasn't got that it's a generous kingdom, but he's trying to work out a way to do it. And the next disciple that comes on the scene is, is Andrew. And he says, well, there is this boy's lunch. And it's almost... There for a moment is the faith, because the, the boy's got the loaves and the fishes. Five barley loaves and two fish. Two small fish, it says in some translations. Not even big fish. Little fish. These are not two large tuna. All right, they're two little fish. This boy didn't have a miraculous backpack of tuna offerings. And he, the, Andrew has seen this. Now, that would be a God solution because there's no way those loaves and that fish is going to feed the multitudes. But for a moment, the faith was there. Otherwise, he wouldn't have even mentioned it. I wonder how he saw this as well. You know, was it the boy that, that offered it? I don't think the disciple would have just stolen it off one of the children. That would seem somewhat against the grain of what, uh, how Jesus was bringing them up. But he says, look, this boy has got a packed lunch, but that would never, ever be enough. But Jesus, it's like Jesus ignores that but. He says, right, I'll go with the faith of your first statement. And I think this is really encouragement because I don't know about you because quite often the faith is there and then I allow a but to increase. Well, just but the but out of it and get back to where you were a minute ago, okay? Get back to where you believed and you trusted. Even if it was fleeting, God doesn't mind He'll grab hold of the faith that you had. He might tell you, oh, you of little faith, but he'll still use it. Because you only need a mustard seed, if you remember, to move mountains. So God grasps hold of what he says, and uh, he, ten he takes up this, uh, the loaves and this fish. I mean, I wonder what was going on in the disciples' minds when Jesus says, okay, we'll use the loaves and the fish to feed over 5,000 people. Plus all the extras, what, 15,000 maybe there? We've got enough here, he's effectively saying, because he gives thanks to God. And he actually tells the disciples, now you need, a, you need to be organized here, so get them sat down in groups. What was going through their heads? They must have had faith, actually, because otherwise they'd have just been, well, why? They must have thought Jesus is going to do something. We need to cultivate that in ourselves. Jesus is going to do something. We'll be surprised. We'll be astonished. He loves to delight. He loves to astonish. All right? And it's a time for astonishing miracles, extraordinary miracles, things that we just say, wow, wasn't expecting that one. 
Okay? But they get them all sat down, and very often, in order to release the miraculous, you do need to be organized practically. You can't just waft in uh, and expect everything to happen. You know, if, if you're, if you're going to reach out and give out food to the poor, it needs to be organized. You need to work out where it's coming from. We have the amazing Rainbow Center in this town that has such a great ministry uh, there with the food bank and helping the homeless, and uh, the debt advice is based there as well. And it, but it has to be very organized, or it would just fall apart. But time and time again, they get a miracle after miracle that just keeps it going. So many times I've heard... The Rainbow Center is on the verge of collapse. And I've heard that so many times in the last 12 years. And here it is, still doing what it does. Amazing, isn't it? But it's because God does something. And if, you're, if we're going to have Sunday mornings, you can't, we can't just all turn up and then work out what we're going to do. It would be chaos. All right, we've got enough people that there has to be some organization. But God brings the anointing. God brings the release. God brings the miracles. So everything we do, we can do, even on a Sunday, you do with faith, expecting the miracle. No matter whether you're sitting at the back like Kate is right now, putting up Bible verses, God can work miracles through that, just as somebody reads a reference and looks at it afterwards. Or whether you're serving a cup of coffee or hoovering up afterwards or working with the children right now, or at this moment, even just listening, you purposely put yourself in a position where God can work. Amen? Amen? And God wants to generously work through us. That is what's happening in this season. But David was perfectly right last week. The enemy sitting on a stone, gnawing a bone, trying to say, it's not going to work. He never stops doing that. So when will this battle with the enemy be over? Never in this life. Sorry, that's not really good news, is it? But it is good news because you have the victory over him. But when the church thinks that bad things never happen, that's when it gets itself in a mess. They happen all the time. We live in a world where the prince of the air, he's sometimes called, is wandering around causing trouble. And he causes more trouble when the church is intimidated because he's sitting there gnawing on a bone. Well, we're not having it. We are sheep who fight back. But our way of fighting back is completely different to what might be expected. And so everybody gets fed. Now... Why this relates to what I'm also talking about in terms of giving. Now, why am I talking about giving this morning? You think, oh, it's just because we're short. No, it's because when the enemy comes against you, you preach the word against it. So if we are short financially, we're going to speak abundance, prosperity. Okay, not a prosperity gospel, but God's provision for the gospel. All right, why would we do anything else? So that's what I'm doing this morning, because the enemy needs to hear what we actually believe. And that is our God is a generous God. What I love about this story that's often glossed over is, you know, this little boy, he gives not very much really, a couple of loaves, a couple of fish, and everybody gets fed. Hang on a minute though, that was his entire packed lunch. Have you ever thought about that? He did give his entire packed lunch to share with 15,000 people. He didn't have anything left once it had been given to Jesus. Amazing. He gives it to Jesus, and what Jesus does is he blesses it and gives thanks for it. 
And whenever we give to the Lord, in whatever way, because generosity is not just about giving money, God forbid. Generosity is about giving of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, of our families, and yes, of our finance. Otherwise, it's something we've just conveniently left out. It's pointless. But it's always got to be within the context of all of it. But this little boy gives everything he has, everybody gets fed, and then somehow, amazingly, there are 12 basketfuls left over. The little boy's got far more packed lunch than he could ever want. He's already had enough to eat because he's part of that group. So he's already had as much fish and bread as he wants, but there's 12 basketfuls left over. God is generous. Why did God waste all that bread and fish? I don't know, maybe they gave it out. I don't know what they did with it. Some people say, well, there's one for each disciple, maybe symbolically. That's good, you could get some great teaching out of it. But I think it just also shows God is generous. Don't expect to have just enough. Don't expect that everything we undertake to do will have just enough to do it. If you're going to start up something that's making a difference in your neighborhood, don't expect to God give you to just enough. Expect there to be an abundance. If you want to work with people who are, are needy and you've got a plan and you're bringing things, because it's going to have to be organized, and you're going to have to work with others. The disciples worked as a team. They didn't just go out and each one try and do their own thing to get people in groups. They had to work together. It had to be coordinated. They had to be following what Jesus had instructed them and then what other disciples told other disciples to do. Or it had been chaos, organizing that many people. Sometimes people think, oh, if you're organizing stuff, that means the Spirit's not in it. Well, then the Spirit wasn't in the miracle of the loaves and the fishes multiplying. It was very organized to get all those people fed. But as a result of organization, as a result of faith, and as a result of the generosity of one small boy, and maybe that tentative faith of Andrew saying, well, there's some loaves and fishes here, but that's never going to be enough. All those people get fed. But what is this a picture of in terms of kingdom? It's a picture that God's provision is there. Now, I want to, do you another, I want to give, share another verse with you that's often used with giving. And it's good. It's still about giving. But I want to put it in its context as well because we need to make sure that we put everything we hear from God's word in the context of what God says. So here's the verse that's often quoted, and you'll hear this a lot uh, on, on certain God Channel programs as well. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you give, it will be measured to you. Now, you can certainly use this for finance, but let's have a look at what actual context when Jesus first shares this. Because it's really important. He says, it's in this context. I'm not going to go into all of it, but he's been talking about loving your enemies. So this is from Luke 6, verse 37 onwards. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. So the real context is about not being generous in not judging people, having, thinking the best of people. Yes, giving them another chance, as it were, is a bit more colloquialism. He's saying be generous in the way. Don't be generous in your forgiveness. Don't condemn people just because they messed up again. Because God doesn't either. He's saying if you want to be part of the kingdom, we need to be generous, but not just generous by getting some money out of our pockets. 
It's got to be in the context of being generous to one another in all things, and then generous to the people around us. Because, so why does Jesus put this verse in the middle of that? Because if it wasn't in the middle of the context of forgiving and not judging and not condemning, we would make a religion out of giving and getting rich. But Jesus says it's part of this picture. Now, does it apply to finances? It implies to anything you give to God. It's a kingdom principle that as you give, you will receive a good measure pressed down. It's referring to um, deals going on in the, in, the, in the market, something like flour or grain. And when it says a good measure will be given into your lap, the actual um, Greek is, uh, and is translated, I think, as such in the, in the King James, given into your bosom, which makes all the boys, little boys and little girls snigger. But the reason it's bosom is because that refers to chest, not just ladies. And they, it, it refers to the, a, a flap that they have built into the clothing, which is like a huge pocket so where you could keep grain. Okay, and this was a grain economy. It wasn't particularly a money economy. This is why it also refers to money. So the grain is being poured into the pocket. And the reason it's shaken and pressed down is because it's, when you pour a lot of grain into the pocket and then you shake it, the level drops, doesn't it? And you can get more in. And that's what God says. And that's why it says with the measure you give will be the measure that's given back to you. But that measure is going to be shaken and press down, in other words, you cannot outgive what you give. Okay, as, you, as we give in our time, as we give in kindness, as we give in love, as we give in, in, in peace, as we try and help others, you will actually receive. That's not why we do it, but Jesus wants you to know that. It does say that God is a rewarder of those. He does reward us. So that doesn't sound like grace. No, grace actually is what enables us to do it. All right, we couldn't actually do what God's called us to do without grace. It's always dependent on him. We should give by grace. We should give beyond what we can believe we can give because then we're entering into grace. I'm not talking about foolishly giving into debt, but there does come stretches of faith where God says, you're going to give this right now. And you think, I can't. And you're absolutely right. So you've got to step into grace and say, actually, I'm going to do this. But always, it's with a heart of generosity, not with a heart of, well, I'll give that so I get it back. Yes? And that's why Jesus puts this whole thing into this parable. He then goes on to the the quite famous saying about, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank dangling out of yours? It's like your bro- you've, you've found a tiny little fault in your brother, but you're smacking everybody around the head with your one. Create a spirit of generosity where you don't just try and point out the faults in your brothers and actually allow God to show the faults that are in you so that you can change, Jesus is saying. But he puts it in the context of giving. How do you know that you're not as generous as you would think you were? One of the reasons you can tell that you're not generous is whenever anybody talks about being generous, you immediately think of those who are not generous. Because if you're generous, you won't have a big plank coming out your eye or looking at the speck in their eye or judging them or condemning them for not being generous with their time or their money or their efforts. You'll be concerned to be generous yourself. The truly generous person is not looking at others because they're a generous person. (laughs) It's quite sneaky, really. Like, oh, it's a good word on generosity. 
Ryan really needs to hear that. I picked one of the most generous people I know, deliberately. <laughs> Ryan and Shona generously give away. But let's move on. Yes, I must move on. Okay, that's, that, that's the context of that passage. So does that mean then that it's not that, that this principle of giving is, is not built into the kingdom, particularly from a financial point of view? No, it's the opposite. It's built right firmly in, but it's in the context of everything. And that's so important. Okay, this is not a sermon this morning to try and make you give because the church is poor. It's not a sermon to try and make you give so that you will get more money back. That's the wrong motivation. It's to release a faith that releases generosity within us financially and in all these other aspects. Why are we talking finances? Because our finances are in a bad way at this very moment in the natural. So we're speaking the word of God because they're going to turn around. And we make it apparent to everybody so that we can rejoice together. I mean, we're going to take this away, aren't we? And we're going to be speaking and declaring financial prosperity over this family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, a real common verse used when, uh, or section that's used when talking about giving is from Malachi. So we're nipping back to one of the Old Testament prophets. Malachi's purpose, everything that he was doing, his book is about getting right with God. He's calling the people back. They've, they've gone away from God. They're not giving their lives to him in the way they should be. And all of Malachi, is, his whole theme is to call the people back to serving God and living with God. And that's where you get these passages. And it's in that context. Um, Return to me, there it is, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Well, God will never leave you, but there's that returning of being awareness of his presence and knowing he's walking with you. But you ask, how are we to return? Well, Malachi gives a practical example to say this is what gets our hearts right. This is what enables us to walk in God's generosity to us. What does he say? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? So you ask, how are we robbing you? This is a pretty strong accusation that Malachi is making of all of God's people. And he says, in the tithes and offerings. The tithe was, a, a, was something that first occurs with Abraham, but it occurs throughout the Old Testament. It's about giving 10% of what you receive back into the work of God. Okay, And he's saying that's not happening. Offerings are above that. If you've ever wondered why we talk about the summit offering and tithes on a Sunday, although we have an offering, so it does get confusing, I appreciate, it's because the summit offering is not supposed to be part of our tithes. It's, a, it's something that you give over that because we're generous. So um, in tithes and offerings, and so... Malachi says, so therefore you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me by not giving to me what you should be. And so Malachi's solution is bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. Now this verse often gets misused to, again, to make people give. But we need to put it in that whole context of the giving of our lives, but it does refer here to tithing and money. 
You say, well, it's in the Old Testament. So always love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your own understanding, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Old Testament. Do not murder. That's Old Testament. We're not throwing that one out. Do not commit adultery. We're holding firmly on to that one. Okay, there's a lot of Old Testament. It, we don't just say we don't need any of that anymore. Of course we do. It's, it's the guidance that's given to us. Some of it's cultural and doesn't apply. It's okay if you're wearing mixed fibers today. Okay, we don't need to worry about that. That was the, the wearing garments of one cloth were given to show that they had one clothing. They were one people following the one God. Now, that's putting it all very quickly and simply. But here it is. If you want to see what God is going to do to you generously, you have to be generous. Bring the whole tithe in. And it is tricky. And it is annoying. And so often we're scared to talk about it or scared to preach about it for fear of offending you. Well, be offended. It's there. It's in the Bible. It is biblical. There's lots of people try to get out of it. But you have to really twist it to get it out of it. I'm not saying it's not been twisted in the other direction. That's what I'm trying to address with putting it in the context of generosity and, and giving of everything. But here, it's very definitely talking about money. I did look up, <coughs> I was looked up a few things in my Bible commentary. Uh, and in the expositor's Bible commentary, which is quite a sort of straight line commentary, it's not extreme in any way, it just said, most churches have the same problem as Israel. Their income is nowhere near 10% of the income of the people in that church. Wow. I was thinking about it. I guess that's true. I was started to work out what the average income of this church was for each adult, and you don't want to know. Um, <laughs> Hallelujah. But remember, the book is about getting right with God. It's about a heart attitude. Okay, it's not about forcing God to do anything. The remedy was for God, uh, for, for Israel here, was to simply do what was right and put the tithe in the storehouse. The temple, bring the tithe into the temple, was, was the storehouse. And what happened with that provision, which came in the form of animals and grain, uh, and possibly money, depending on how they received. But remember, they weren't a money-based economy. Um, was then used to uh, enable the temple to function. It enabled the, the priests to live and do what they were supposed to do as priests. It enabled the temple to meet the needs of others that were in need. It enabled the temple to stand and be built and repaired and renewed. So, I mean, it's a very practical thing. It enabled worship to take place at the temple. It, was, uh, it enabled there to be emergency funds to meet difficulties. It enabled that, that temple to be working effectively in their local community. This all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Hallelujah. Let's look, let's, but that's Old Testament, some people might say. So let's look at some of the new stuff. We looked at Luke. Let's just have a look at a few. Um, skipping through. One, that's, that is up there already. Efficiency at the back there. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2. I'm not going to dwell on these very long. I just want to really read them to enable our faith to rise together. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Do what I've told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 
In other words, keep giving regularly so that the money's there so it can be used. He's, he is collecting money specifically to give to another church in this situation, but he's outlining a principle of how they're going to live their lives as the Corinthian church. Give regularly according to your income. You see, it's not about how much you put in the offering. It's how much you've got left. The little boy put nothing in. Really, it was very little, except that it was everything. It's the same as the story where Jesus commends the widow for putting a tiny coin in the offering. In terms of what it was, it was tiny, it was almost nothing. But he saw her generosity of heart. You can be very, very wealthy and make very prestigious gifts, but it depends on your heart, and it really depends on what you've got left. It's about opening a channel that enables the kingdom of God to flow through you. It's about dealing with your own heart. Amen? If you're hearing this as something negative or weighing upon you, you're not hearing what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is there's a release. God wants to be generous. God wants us to rise up in faith. This is a year for, to see God in action. Return to me, says the Lord. You say, well, I wasn't, it wasn't aware I was that far away. But this is because God is always changing us from glory to glory. So let's step into another level of glory. He says, let's deal with this that's in the hearts of, our, of all of us. Let's deal with this. Each of us responding in a different way according to how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Yeah? It's in everything. It's not just money, but money is an important part of it. Sometimes people like to totally separate it. Here's Paul writing to the Corinthians later on in history. Um, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, that's important, he's put in the context, it wasn't a time when they were overflowing, they were in the middle of something difficult. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, so they're struggling, Welled up in rich generosity. How did the Macedonian churches overcome that poverty? By doing the opposite of what the, what the natural situation was trying to impose upon them. Naturally, they were supposed to be in poverty. So they rose up in generosity. And this is why Paul is commending them. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even, be able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Let us have the privilege of giving to you. What, a, what, a, what, a, what, a, what an attitude. And they exceeded our expectations. They're giving to Paul to enable his ministry. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. We urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to also... Completion, this act of grace on your part. And there is another thing. But since you excel in everything, God wants excellence in everything, including our giving. We've, we've talked about a lot about learning to become excellent as a family, and we are on a journey together to excel in accepting one another. It's that whole thing where I started, judge not lest you be judged, condemn not lest you be condemned. Jesus is saying you need a generous attitude to all people, including your brothers and sisters, and those that annoy you and let you down the most. 
Because if you are generous to them, God will be generous to you. It releases it back to you. If, you, if, if someone lets you down badly and you're kind to them, rejoice because you know that that releases kindness back to you. It just releases God's blessing. It doesn't mean if someone lets you down and, 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 and hurts you, forgiving them is not saying it didn't, doesn't matter. Forgiving them is saying, I will not be tied to you for that. I'm going to let you go. I am generously going to forgive you to enable generous forgiveness to flow into my life. The only time you maybe not need to do that is if you're totally perfect. <laughs> that might apply to a few, I, I don't know. Excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, but see also that you excel in this grace of giving. Amen? A little bit later, he's talking to the same group here. And uh, this is important. Remember this. He's, already, he's continuing to talk about giving. And he's been talking about financial giving. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Why? Because if you, if you sow sparingly, you're not sowing generously. And the kingdom is generous. And we are in the kingdom. We are to demonstrate that kingdom. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's one reason I never ever know, unless it occurs by accident or is a special gifting that somebody gives maybe. Um, I don't know what individuals give. Because, I mean, the finance department has to, because they have to bank checks and things. So obviously they do. But the principle is that each of you give according to what you've decided to give in your heart before God. It's none of my business. It is my business to preach faith to you. It is my pre business to preach generosity to you. It is my business to say this is what God says. But if any of you are feeling perhaps, maybe you haven't been generous, maybe you haven't been giving, and you're feeling condemned, that's just the enemy. I don't know. I don't care. Other than I want you to flow in generosity, so I suppose in that sense I care, but I don't need to know on an individual basis. It's up to you. According to your income, as Paul said earlier. And it's not about how much you give, it's about what you've got left. It's about, about working out what you can afford. It's about giving what God tells you to. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is a verse you see written up in people's houses a lot, isn't it? How many people have, maybe even, no, you don't need to respond. You might feel embarrassed about it at the moment, but how many people have got this on their wall and God is able to bless you abundantly? It's a good one to have on your wall. I'm not saying don't. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you will need, you will abound in every good work. It's a great verse. I will abound in every good, I will abound in everything. I will have all I need. But look at the context. What you sow is what you will reap, says Paul. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap, you'll reap generously. Give what you've decided in your heart. And God is able to make. You say, well, am I making God given to me? No. What you're doing is you're, in giving, you're stirring faith within yourself. It's evidence that you believe. 
Because there's no reason to give if you don't believe, really. In fact, don't. Unless you believe this is the work of the kingdom and that God's going to bless people and bless this town and, and change it, don't. Don't give. What, why would you? Waste the time. Let's give into something that's kingdom. Let's give into something that God is doing. Let's give into good soil, using other parables. Let's give into something that's going to be effective. Let's give into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The storehouse is where the grain is kept. What's the grain for? To enable you to feed. So where are you primarily fed? In a congregation. That's where God wants you to give. That's your house. It's not that you shouldn't give to other things, but God calls you to give. Paul is calling you, calling the, the Christians here to give into the work of the church and into the, what's going on. Let's look at another couple and then I'm done. Galatians 6. <laughs> this one might make you smile. Uh, I, I, do you know what? I didn't even know this was in here until, until uh, yesterday when I was... <laughs> no, day before Friday when I was looking at it. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. <laughs> I didn't know that was there. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. It's not just about giving to me. It's about giving to our community. But I thought it was funny. Other translations say, uh, give, uh, those who are being taught, give to your teacher. In other words, give to the ministry that's enabling that to happen. Give into the storehouse. It's the same as Malachi. Um, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Here he is again. This is Paul. This is New Testament. This is kingdom. This is not just an Old Testament prophet. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. In other words, if you spend your money on all things to please yourself, it doesn't do you any good. It's not that you can't spend anything. It's, it's, you, everything you have comes from God. And actually, you get to keep the vast majority of it. The tithe, after all, is only 10%. That means you get to keep 90% of what is God's. That's quite generous, actually. If you just turn it on its head, that's very generous of him. <laughs> if you're not used to this kind of teaching, it can sound terrible, but actually it's amazing when you think what God has done for us. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That's not just talking about having a good prayer time. We please the Spirit when we give by helping somebody else out. You know, you go around and help them fix something in their house. That's giving of your time. It's giving of your talent. You help somebody else out by looking after their children. You're sowing to the Spirit. Don't think that this just means praying in tongues and, and prayer. It does mean that. But it also means the things you do that please the Spirit. Well, what does the Spirit like? Kindness, love, goodness, patience. All the fruit, the Spirit likes the fruit. So when you sow according to the fruit of the Spirit, and you're particularly, you know, you go out of the way to be kind, you go out of the way to be generous, you, go out, you make sure that you're living in self-control or sound discipline, the Holy Spirit is pleased. He's pleased for you because it will bless you. It's not just, don't make it too spiritual in the sense of it only being the Spirit stuff. When we worship on a Sunday, that's spiritual. When we, when we come to meet with God, that pleases the Holy Spirit. And we will reap from that. But it's part of the whole picture. When we sow into the offering, when the buckets come past and we sow into it out of generosity, the Holy Spirit is pleased with you. 
because it's demonstrating generosity and faith in what God is doing. Let us not become weary in doing good. It's so easy, especially with giving, because you keep doing it again and again. Haven't I done it enough? You know, I became a Christian, well, I didn't tithe when I was a child, but by the time I was at university, I remember starting to tithe as a student and thinking it was very expensive. (laughs) So, you know, it's about time I got a break. I've been doing it 35 years. (laughs) Well, I don't want God to have a break in giving to me. (laughs) Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And you're not just reap a harvest in your life. You'll reap a, life, a harvest in the life of your family. You'll reap harvest in the life of your friends. You'll reap harvest in all those you know who don't yet know Jesus. And you'll reap harvest in this, your family called the church. Don't get weary. It's easy to get weary. It's easy to forget about it. And you realize it stayed the same level for five years. It's always about, God, what are you telling me to do what is within your heart. The Old Testament tithe was a 10%. It's just, that's just the minimum, really. What else in the New Testament becomes less? The Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. Jesus says, well, looking at a woman lustfully is committing adultery. That was a jump in the standards of righteousness. So it's not going to be, oh, you don't need to bother with that anymore. It's actually going to be more Oh, it's about asking God what to give in my heart. Some prosperity gospel teachers have made it quite hard to teach on correct biblical tithing and giving. I hope by the grace of God, I believe I am doing that today. Not to make us feel oppressed, but to enable us to walk in freedom. All right, Because when you do give, I don't want you giving with fear. If, if you're giving... And you, and you are afraid of what's going to happen next, don't give. You say, well, that's not what you should be doing, Paul. We, we, yes, it's exactly what I should be doing. Because actually I'm t- helping you to come from fear into faith. Yeah. And realize, actually, if I'm giving according to what God gives, he's not going to let me down. Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. And he provides with the same measure that we use. But he shakes it. And he presses it down because he's more generous than we are and pours it out over us. There will be stories here in this congregation, maybe we should try and have some, of where people have given and they've just seen the amazingness of God come back. It's not time for stories now. It's time when we're just going to spend some time in worship. The very last one I want to mention is in Philippians. And I won't preach on it. I'll just share it, really. Um... Here's another one, like that other one that people have up on their walls and on their fridge doors and marked in their Bibles. This is Philippians 4. Um, The passage I'm looking at is 14 to 19. Verse 19 says, this is the one people have up, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's a wonderful verse. Memorize it, learn it. But just to finish, let's look at the context of it, shall we? I'll go back to verse 14 to get most of it. And what Paul is doing is thanking the Philippians for generously giving to him and his ministry. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, 
Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more, than, is more be credited to your account. He suddenly realizes he's gonna, they're so generous, they're going to think he's asking for more money. He's not at all. He's not asking them for money, but he's reminding them of how faithful they've been in giving. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When you put in the bucket, it's not just, oh, this is my tithe, this is my offering. It's a fragrant offering that is pleasing to God. You know Why? Because it's faith. You're saying this is going to be used by God. Well, it'll probably go into the salary of some of the staff. How do you think we do God's work? I mean, we have a lot of staff, most of whom aren't employed by the church. That's just one of the peculiarities of how God has provided for us. Uh, have a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a great verse. Have it written out. Memorize it. Pray it when you're in, if you're in financial trouble. But always remember, the context of it was people who were already being generous. You say, well, I, I thought we weren't a gospel, of, a, a gospel of works. We are not a gospel of works. This is not about works to make things happen. It's that we have faith, so we do something, and we're doing something because we have faith. Because we have faith, we do something. Because we are doing something, we have faith. It's feeding that faith cycle, and it's opening uh, our minds and our hearts to what God does generously in the lives of everybody. Amen? The truth is that Jesus did say, and it is true, give and it shall be given to you with the same measure. But pressed down, uh, shaken and pressed down. Why is tithing important? Why is giving important financially and in all the other things that I've mentioned? Because it shows where your heart is and where your faith is in God. It's part of trusting him. And it's a huge challenge, I know. What do you do if you're sitting there right now and you've never tithed? You think, I don't know how I can get to 10% of my, what's coming in. Well, do it in steps then. Do it in steps. Take a step of faith today. And I can't judge you, and nobody else can judge you, for doing what according to your faith. Because then your faith can grow. And what you're certainly not going to do, unless the Lord tells you to, and the Lord does tell people to do, is give everything you've got there at the moment. I mean, he did do that with the boy, so he does it. I've had it before. God just said, give everything you've got at the moment. And you just have to put everything together and put it in. You know? I once was very delighted to um, have some money that was going to pay for a new shed in the garden when we lived in Horsham. And God said, give it away. It doesn't sound much. It's just a shed. It was a lot to us at the time. We weren't in a financially great place at those days. It's like, yes, we can get... We had a shed. It was falling to pieces and everything in it was falling to pieces because the shed was falling. And God said, give it away. 
So it, so it does do that. But it's got to be what God says in your heart. Amen? Praise God. Let's have the worship team forward, and we'll worship for a short while. We haven't got a long time, 10 minutes or so. Uh, and then during this time, we'll, um, we'll also do the offering. You might want to this morning, um, if you don't normally, it may be a way of responding, and I encourage you to do that, to just put uh, something in the offering as a token. You know, yes, I'm moving forward in this. Yes, I want to be part of a generous culture. I'm not saying uh, this just to make you do it. I'm saying it because it's part of a response. Um, so it might be whatever you've got on you. It might take a card. It might whatever. But just ask God, what do you want me to do right now? Maybe you're just going to give your normal tithe. A lot of us give by standing order. I give by um, electronic means. Hallelujah. But every now and again, I want to put in something extra. Praise God. Let's all stand, shall we? Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.